Hi there listeners. Welcome to episode 110 of Never on the Backfoot podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Ananya Upendran. She is a self-confessed cricket tragic who used to play and now actively writes about the game. Having played cricket professionally for India A, South Zone, Hyderabad and Sikkim for over a decade and a half, she has taken her love for the game into the world of writing. She freelanced for several websites for a couple of years before working for Wisden India where she got the opportunity to cover the 2016 ICC Women's World T20 in India. Following that experience she took a step back from the world of journalism continuing to work as a freelancer to focus on her cricket. In 2019 she took up the position of managing editor of Women's Cricket Zone a role she held for a little over 2 years. During her stint with the company they expanded their coverage which was largely text based to include video shows both live and recorded a podcast women's cricket only awards and also increase the company's social media presence besides her work for the website she also doubled up as the magazine's editor of the first print and digital magazine dedicated to the women's game After her stint with Women's Cricket Zone ended, she once again commenced her freelance writing role and writes for a lot of leading platforms. Without further ado, let's hop on to understand more about her journey. Hi Ananya, welcome to Never on the Backfoot podcast. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast and eagerly looking forward to the conversation ahead. Thanks for having me Neha. I mean, I'm I, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, let's just kickstart our discussion with, uh, you know, what got you first interested in cricket. Uh, you can talk about yourself as a cricket fan, and also reflect on some of your early memories of the sport. Um. Well, how I got interested in cricket. Um. I, I guess it was around two thousand, two thousand and one. Um. That that's my first memory of actually watching and, and following a lot of cricket. Um. It was that two thousand and one. Um. India Australia series um and you know that test series and how captivating it was the Kolkata test the Chennai test everyone knows those stories um so that's my i mean like i i did watch a bit of cricket on and off um before that but i think that was the series where i actually you know started following it religiously my my grandfather my maternal grandfather that is was a massive cricket fan so he would watch cricket um all over the world no matter who was playing and he had these diaries for every team where he would note scorecards he would note records he would note all those things down so i think that's where i became fascinated with the sport and i started um i guess watching more of it and because i began watching more of it um i started playing but i didn't play gully cricket i played actually cricket on the terrace with my grandfather and my dad um so you know we would I I guess um they would give me catches they would like we would I would bat a little bit I ended up I guess that's how I kind of became interested in the game um and yeah uh, how I I guess got into it since from then um one of my friends actually she was a, a one year senior to me was also a massive cricket fan so we were actually in the same music class so I learned Carnatic music um so we were in the same music class so we would end up spending a lot of our time before and after our, our singing class discussing cricket and her father was actually someone who encouraged that side of us and he 
went out, looked for a camp for girls. And, and he kind of, I guess, introduced us or introduced me into like professional training and, and things like that. I could, I could relate to your answer when you said your maternal grandfather played a massive role. Like he's a big fan. So that's how you got influenced. But if I had to ask you, how was it like, you know, playing cricket in school? And did you have exposure there? And uh, what are some of your fondest memories of the same? Um, well, actually, I didn't play much cricket in school. Uh, I, the school that I went to um, it was Vidyaranya High School. We, there was actually no real competition there. We, we had, of course, um, you know, sports and, and we did play, but it was largely football, basketball and volleyball. So I did, there wasn't much exposure for cricket um, and for me. So what, all my exposure came from home and, and you know, just watching. Oh, yeah, like I said, I mean, it was my exposure was largely at home and, and with my friends. So I guess my my earliest memories, I would say playing cricket would be just playing on the terrace. I mean, I remember my dad would give me catches and I would end up diving on the concrete <laughs> because I thought John T. Rhodes would be proud of me. Like that, that's, that's, that's how I actually started playing. Um, but I guess the early days, um, like I said, my friend's father introduced us to, to a coaching camp, which was incidentally run by um, Mithali Raj's father, Mr. Dore Raj. Um, so I, I started training under him um, quite early and, and that's kind of where everything began. But I guess my fondest memories early on would just be going to camp. I mean, I was always so excited. Um, it was, we trained before school. So, you know, from 5.30 to say 7.30 or 8 before I had to leave, um, leave camp to, to get to school. And it, I think just playing early in the morning and then Sundays were my favorite so on Sundays we would play like a 30 or 40 over match and sometimes if India were not um, on tour Mitali they would come and you know that was like a special occasion everyone would want to be in her team and, and want to bat with her um, so I guess early on those were some of my favorite memories just watching her bat um, getting to bowl to her as like a 13 14 year old that was like a massive kick for me so yeah, I'd say that those were my fondest memories. Wow. And uh, who are some of your, you know, favorite cricketers or cricketing role models for that matter? This can be male or female growing up. And who is it currently? Oh, God. Um, look, uh, I, I, I'll probably get a lot of stick for this, but I was a massive Australia fan. Um, so Ricky Ponting, Glenn McGrath and Adam Gilchrist were like my, my favoriteest cricketers at early on um I even kind of like painted the jersey numbers and names on some of the yellow shirts that I had um so yeah I was a massive Australia fan and they were probably the biggest influences but once I started playing and once I kind of became exposed to women's cricket definitely uh Mithali Raj because I mean I was watching her from such close quarters um just seeing her work ethic and and you know seeing her kind of break records um you know just for fun um, she became someone I looked up to, but later on, um, because I am or was an all-rounder, um, Rumeli Dhar um, wow. became kind of like my idol. Um, she was uh, a seam bowler and, I mean, I, she could do everything. She batted, bowled, fielded like a, I mean, I, I think she was one of India's top catchers um, at that time. Um, one of the most devastating swing bowlers. And I remember the first time I, I watched her. So it was an inter-railway tournament that was playing in, that was being played in Hyderabad. And um, she was playing for Northern Railway against Western Railway. And Western Railway was one of the strongest teams or continues to be one of the strongest teams in that competition. And she was facing Preeti Dimri, who 
after Neetu David is probably the best left arm spinner skill skill wise that India has ever had. Mm-hmm. And she just tonked her for three sixes um, in in the over over deep mid wicket and one over mid off. And I was just in awe of this, you know, this woman's skill. And and, and yeah, after that, I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to be like. So um, yeah, she I guess through my playing career was someone I wanted to emulate, but. I guess now it's it's really hard for me to name one. I mean, there's so many people mm-hmm. I admire. I think I'm kind of the person who sees a hero or sees an idol in, in almost everyone I watch. But if if you ask me to name a few, I guess Mignon Dupree would be right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, Marazan Karp, I think, uh, Elise Perry, Megan Schutt. I think, I like I said, I see a hero in, in everyone I watch. But um, I guess number one would definitely be Mignon. Right. And uh, when did you first get exposure to women's cricket? Now, you can also talk about your earliest uh, recollection of a game you saw live. This could be uh, like on TV or even in the stadium for that matter. Um, yeah. So funnily enough, again, uh, my I think the earliest stories that I heard of about women's cricket or women cricketers was from my grandfather. Um, so like I said, he liked to watch cricket um, uh all around the world and he would also kind of watch local cricket as well so he told me stories of Shantarangaswamy some stories of Diana Edelji so I kind of heard their names so I was aware that you know there was a women's team but of course it wasn't visible and also funnily enough my mother went to school with um, Sandra Braganza who who played uh, international cricket for India Um, she also went she was classmates with a former Andhra Pradesh captain as well so I was aware that that women's cricket existed um, but of course I I never saw it so um, I guess um, I think once I happened to chance upon a game um, back then uh, in the early 2000s or even before that uh, women's cricket at least the home internationals was always a telecast on DD so I think I happened to chance upon an international game uh, on Doordarshan, and that's that's when I first saw the women's team play. Um, I think it was a series against England or New Zealand. I'm not quite sure, mm-hmm. but I, I watched that, and that's that's when I actually asked my friend's dad if he knew anything, and and that's kind of how everything started. Um, so yeah, I think that's my earliest memory of of watching women's cricket, but. Um, I did, I think in, in 2006, it was go for uh, the quadrangular series in Chennai, um, only a couple of games, but um, I remember watching Rebecca Rolls um, vividly smash, um, you know, the Australians, I think New Zealand chased down 260 or something at that time and Rolls scored 104 of 87 balls or something and it was just it was incredible to watch these these women go out and, and do such amazing things. I mean, in, in what was, a, it was a very, very hot day. I remember just sitting and sweating and wondering why these women are doing what they're doing. But they, I mean, they were just so skillful, so, so incredible. And again, it was, I, I did go with my grandfather. So um, yeah, I think he kind of um, unknowingly exposed me to a lot of things and, and just kind of set me on a path that I, I guess, took forward. Right. I mean, we did uh, talk about your early influences and uh, your favorite cricketers as well. But uh, when did you realize, you know, that you actually wanted to play cricket full time and this is professionally and what did it mean for your academics? And uh, through this, how was your family, uh, family's reaction to the same and how did they support you through your journey? Um, well, I guess 
cricket kind of i mean it just happened naturally for me i think um my family for a long time just saw it as an extracurricular so um I, I come from a family of teachers. My, my, both my parents teach, my, both my grandfathers were professors. So um, I, I come from a family where obviously school was um, meant to be top priority all the time. So um, I was allowed to play. I mean, I continued to play, continue to practice. But remember at the time where I was playing, there wasn't really, um, there was state cricket. There was, you know, under 16, under 19 cricket, but there wasn't really a pathway where you didn't see it as, as a career option. Um, so I trained and I played for fun and I played state cricket, yes, but um, I think school was always top priority. Um, and I think the progression just kind of happened naturally when the BCCI took over in, in 2006, seven, um, we started playing more and, and that was when we actually started getting paid, even though it was like peanuts, we, we started getting paid to play. Um, and even throughout that time, um, cricket, I mean, academics was was top priority. So I would go for tournaments, but as soon as I came back, it was always about catching up with schoolwork, with college work, making sure that I got my assignments done. Um, I even had to take a couple of uh, years off before my 10th and 12th board. So I missed a couple of, of, uh, of, of tournaments during that time. Cool. But I think... Um, you know, through the period, my, my family were, of course, very supportive. I mean, they took me to, to practice sessions early in the morning, sometimes even before the sun rose. And, you know, they, they did all, all those things to support me. But I think the progression into, I guess, becoming a professional was, was more of a, it was just a natural thing that happened. I, I always continued to go to school, to college. I finished my, my bachelor's and my master's. So, I mean, it was kind of a, a balancing act throughout. I don't think I ever um, I mean, I did prioritize cricket in the sense that I chose my colleges or my schools that would allow me to play, mm -hmm. but it, it never meant that I, you know, that, that uh, academics came second. It was always about balancing and, and making sure that I was able to do both. Right. And, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite matches of all time? Now, this can be men's cricket or women's cricket matches. And uh, you did talk about your fondest uh, memory of having gone to a stadium to watch the quadrangular series. But besides that, do you have any other memories or, you know, experiences of the same? Um, so would this be watching on TV as well? Yeah. Uh Look, I think that there are just too many. I mean, we, we just watched an, an incredible World Cup that had so many cliffhangers. Yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, one of the games that's, that's probably that I remember and it's probably close to my heart for, for, for many different reasons is actually that 2009 World Cup, um, the Super Six game between uh, Australia and India. And India happened to beat Australia in that game. And it was... Um, was probably one of the first times that I saw um, so a senior of mine, Gohar Sultana, playing for India. So she had debuted a year earlier, but I never saw her on TV. And, and to me, she was always a, a huge inspiration, having played with her in Hyderabad and, and just having learned so much from her. So just watching her do really well. Um, I remember before she left for the World Cup, we had a conversation about, you know, the teams that she would come up against. And um, I asked her, who's, which batter are you most, I suppose, feared, fearful of? And she said, Karen Rolton. And, you know, we spoke about how Karen Rolton kind of 
takes down spin and how she's an exceptional player of spin mm. and gohar ended up getting her stumped in that game oh. um in her i think second or third over and i was sitting at home celebrating like i got the wicket and um yeah so f- I, that's that's actually one of my favorite memories watching on tv um but i mean that i guess there're just so many um that rolls 100 again i guess that's repetition but that that would be another favorite game mm-hmm. but i mean just just recently i even 2016 watching india beat australia in australia um that t20 series huh. um th- yeah like i said so many and it's it's kind of i feel like all of them are mixing in my head right now so but just for sentimental reasons 2009 world cup definitely okay and uh, who are some of your uh, you know favorite coaches or uh, you know mentors who have played an instrumental role in uh, shaping your career and you're greatly indebted to them um again i you're putting me on the spot <laughs> forcing me to name people um look i think every coach that i've had has kind of had an impact on my career like i mentioned early um nitali raj's father mr dore raj i think he um you know he, i think he had probably the biggest impact because he was obviously my first coach but he just taught me and and i think everyone who who worked with him um just so many things about discipline about hard work about you know just the very basic things that an athlete needs to have mm-hmm. um and and he kind of gave me i suppose a very strong grounding in in just the basics of the game um and and he encouraged me to to be to to play the way i wanted i think early on in my career i was i was very athletic i don't think i was the most talented um player ever on my team um but one thing that i knew i did better than everyone was field and he always encouraged me and said you know i will pick you because you're a better fielder than xyz because i i'd rather that my 11th player you know stop runs than 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 do something else so i think just that that confidence that he built in me as a young player was was something that i um i think looking back i'm i'm definitely very indebted to him um just setting me on a path but after that once you know i became more professional once you know the hyderabad cricket association and stuff came into the picture um people like purnima rao gs lakshmi uh, rajni venugopal i mean all these people were people who had played for the country who had achieved so much so you know just just visible role models having seen you know actually seeing people who who'd achieved their dreams um as as an under 19 cricketer they played a huge role but i think i guess if i had to name one coach who i think had the biggest impact on me in terms of actually um building self belief and actually making me feel like i could um play uh, at a higher level was nushina alkadir uh, i think she was the first first coach who who took me under her wing and actually invested a lot of time in me um we would have uh, you know extra sessions so i remember after the team session ended at 10 o'clock we'd meet again at around 1:30 we'd practice till 3:30 before the team session at 4 o'clock so you know she invested just so much time so much effort she answered all my questions i mean i was always the kind of kid who who asked a million questions every day um and and she you know just having the patience just i think um nushinal khadir did have a massive impact on me um and like i said made me believe that i was capable of something special but um i guess another coach 
who I worked with a lot from under 19 and, and more, uh, I think, in the in the recent years would be Devika Palshikar. I think technically she worked a lot on my bowling, my, my action, uh, mm-hmm. just tactically helped me, uh, I guess, uh, evolve as a player. Um, and then someone else who I didn't work with a lot, but I think just... Um, I th- she had a massive impact in terms of being a positive influence was, was Andrew Jay. And I think I did one camp with her, one seven day camp with her, but just, you know, listening to her and, and um, being able to bounce ideas off her, but also, you know, after that, being able to call her and, and just listen to, to that positivity. I think Andrew Jen again, was someone who had an impact on me. So like I said, I feel like everyone I've worked with in different ways, has definitely influenced me but if I had to like name three three people who probably had the biggest impact they would be um Nushin Al-Khadir, Purnima Rao and Dorai Raj. Right and uh, your coaches obviously did something right because you were such a uh, potent weapon with your pace bowling and your cheeky in-swingers are something that definitely set you apart. So how did you actually, you know, build on that skill? Like, was it something that came innately to you or you, you know, specifically put the right resources to get that skill perfected? Um, yeah, look, like I said earlier, I definitely wasn't the most talented kid um, ever on any team. Um, I was the most athletic, but but very rarely had, I think, the cricketing skills of, of most of my teammates. That's from under 19 level, but... I think what I did do well uh, through my career was I was just practice, practice and practice. I mean, I absolutely loved it. So I'd spend every waking moment that I could on the ground. Um, and I did lots of extra sessions, really annoyed my coaches to death, probably. Um, like I remember Nushini once telling me that, um, you know, I'm just giving you the week off. Please don't come because, you know, you're just overdoing it. And I would still come. And I wouldn't practice, but I would end up like asking her a thousand questions every day. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I just like absolutely loved um, practicing and just, I guess I was dedicated to my craft. Um, I enjoyed, um, I was open to experimenting. I watched a lot of cricket. I liked talking about it. So, I mean, I, I wanted to try new things. I, I copied a lot of people's actions. And it's actually funny that you mentioned the in-swinger. So I actually naturally started off as an out-swinger. Oh. Um, I think the, my under-16 career, I bowled like the perfect out-swingers. Um, but I remember one summer camp where, um, I think it was in 2009 or something, where I I copied Andrew Flintoff and, and Jacques Callis's actions um, for like a week at a stretch. Like I refused <laughs> to bowl in my action and I just bowled like them and I ended up becoming like a front-on bowler um, because, you know, I, they were just so open-chested. Uh, and I ended up actually for a while having a mixed action. So that had to be coached out of me, of course. But it was only after that that I actually became like an in-swinger and um, started understanding that. So I took a while to adjust to, to that change I mean that was obviously a massive change as a teenager suddenly the ball's moving the other way but um yeah I think uh I I I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I did that because I think in swingers in women's cricket are, are probably more potent than out swingers I think out swingers of course look a lot better because they beat the bat and you know they're booing and eyeing but I think in swingers uh and we've seen that in women's cricket are probably more potent so yeah, it was just like I said about being wanting to practice um, as much as possible. 
right and uh, if you had to reflect you know at length on your playing days you've played for your state team hyderabad and later for sikkim so how did all that go and you know if you had to tell our listeners about your playing days uh, what are some of the things that's coming to your mind right now um look i think um with regards to i, think, I mean i i tell this a lot a lot to to my teammates now but um i think i was really lucky to play in a very strong um hyderabad team and i think it was a very strong era for hyderabad cricket um you know you looked i i remember first of all I had to work my ass off to get into that senior team um because it was it was such a star studded team you looked around um and and there were india players if they hadn't played for india they'd played for the south zone or they'd been in india probables or you know every all the senior players had accomplished something um and it was just incredible the amount the, the strength that was there in that team um and the number of match winners and and i think you know as a young player coming through you you knew that you had to really earn your place in that team um you you had to have done something really good at junior level to actually first of all get your place in the 15 and then you had to you, ha- you know you had to be had to impress some superstars to to finally you know make your way into the 11 so for me it was just i think i, I learned a lot um, from that group of players and i think i was just really lucky to have been around them um and learned from them uh, i i spent two almost two and a half years on the bench um just being 12th i remember going for my my second tour and thinking yeah they're just picking me as professional 12th the senior player comes off the field i go into field and that that's that's literally all i did for my first two seasons for hyderabad but um i think that kind of ignited the hunger in me it made me want to work harder and and made me understand that when i do get my chance it would i would have to be very very good because i was playing amongst a, a group of of superstars so yeah um i guess just looking back at hyderabad like i said i feel privileged to have played with with people like gohar sultana diana david shravanti naidu i mean sunita anand archana das mamta kanojia the number of india players that hyderabad produced uh, while i was there is incredible i mean i played with arundhati who is now um, around the indian side mm-hmm. um, and like i said if you didn't play for india you played either for boards 11 or you played for the south zone so everyone had done something um and it was just uh, incredible being part of that group um and then graduating to become a senior bowler which funnily enough i never ever felt like a senior bowler even though i became one later um but yeah just i guess looking back feel privileged to have played for a state that was just so incredibly successful we we were you know the first team to beat um indian railways in a one day um game after the bcci took over of course but one of the first teams to and we made sure that they didn't get into their fi- into the final i think it was in 2010 11 and you know just the amount of work that that squad had done the amount of belief that we had that we could actually do it because this was a team with with neetu david with amita sharma rumeli dhar mitali raj hemlata kala nushinal kadir i mean it was it was a team that it was basically the india 11 and mm. i think uh, you know so to have been part of of a team that did things like that was just was awesome um but moving on to sikkim i think sikkim was a very different experience obviously you know coming from hyderabad being used to a somewhat professional environment um mm. you know where people knew their jobs knew the game um sikkim was i guess first of all uh, a shock in the sense that 
um, the game was just so new to so many of the players. I mean, it was the first time that so many of them were playing. I remember one of the girls in the squad, um, basically before we met her, took up cricket like four days ago. Oh. Um, she was a she was a professional football player. Oh. Um, came in, uh, and you know, Purnima Rao was our coach um, that first season. She taught her to bowl off spin, and in she didn't play any of the one day games. But by the time we got to the T twenties, she took a four for in her second game. Wow! And you know, it was just amazing how I guess seeing how hungry those players were just for the opportunity. Uh, I remember so many of them saying that you know we've been waiting for so long to to be able to play. Um, so just the innocence around that team, um, celebrating every little milestone. So like um, every time someone dived to stop a boundary, whether it was from our team or from the other team, there were claps, there were cheers. Um, you know, they celebrated every wicket, every run. Um, and they were just so grateful for the opportunity to play. So I guess for someone like me who came from Hyderabad, um, to come in there, it was it was such an eye opener. And it was also kind of, uh, for me, looking back, I I also realized how grateful, I mean, I should be for the opportunity to play because I think at Hyderabad, we started taking it for granted. But, you know, you look at these kids coming in and they they were starved of the opportunity for so long. So, um, yeah, it just, just kind of put things in perspective for me. But I think some of my best memories actually came from those uh, last two years in Sikkim uh, because... It was just, like I said, there was just a pure, I guess, pure joy. And there was a bit of innocence around them. So um, it was just, it was great to be, uh, to be able to experience that. Right. We've uh, spoken about your uh, domestic experience, but how did that translate, you know, uh, into playing for India A? And I know this is an obvious question, but did you ever harbor dreams of making it into the Indian cricket team? Did you visualize, you know, seeing yourself receive that India cap? And what was the mindset then? Um, of course I did. Um, I think uh, we all do at some point. Uh, but yeah, playing for India A was, I think it was such a huge honor. Um, and, and playing against New Zealand was just a, a massive, uh, it was a huge deal for me. I mean, it was easily my favorite experience. I remember um, just getting down onto the ground, um, being given the cap by Purnima Rao and um, just, you know, when we entered the field, I remember wearing the cap uh, and, you know, just feeling like Supergirl. Um, and after that, it, it didn't matter how I did for me that day. I mean, of course, you know, it was, it was I guess, one of those days where I, I wished it wouldn't end. Um, I, I remember getting the new ball um, from, yeah, from, from Vanita uh, and... Uh, Susie Bates was on strike. I was standing at the, the top of my mark, just looking at her thinking, wow, I, ca I can't believe I'm doing this, but you know, let's go. And in my opinion, I bowled a, like a perfectly good delivery, which in domestic cricket probably would have just been knocked back to me. Hmm. Pitched on off stump, moved into middle. But Susie Bates being Susie Bates, flicked me for four. <laughs> and um, I just remember standing in the middle of the kind of laughing thinking wow this is the step up yes but wow I can't believe this is actually happening mm. um and just through that day I think um yes I did get tonked around a little bit I I mean there were a couple of catches dropped 
but I, and I didn't bowl too much, but I just remember being on the field that day, absolutely loving every minute of it. And I think um, for someone like me who, who had, who put so much pressure on herself throughout her career, mm. um, it was, I think, looking back, it was such a massive achievement for me to have actually enjoyed that day as much as I did. Um, I remember standing at extra cover. I think I fielded the best I've ever fielded in my career that day. Um, standing at extra cover, Sophie Devine kept trying to hit cover drives past me and I kept diving and stopping them. And mm. Preeti Bose was bowling from the pavilion and she hit one to my left and took off. I dived, stopped it, shied at the non-strikers and... Missed the stumps, yes, but Divine was like halfway down the track. And then she looked at me and she said, can't you just let one through? (laughs) And I was thinking, wow, these guys think I'm that good. So yeah, it was just an incredible experience. And obviously after that, it definitely did fuel my fire even more. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, sometimes things just just don't um, work out the way you want. And but yeah, I'm incredibly grateful for that experience. And it's something that I'll never forget for sure. Right. And I think what I find really fascinating is the fact that you have such an eidetic memory, right? You remember every, uh, you know, single detail or like with so much of, uh, like the way you explain most of these events is just incredible. Like, how do you remember so much? Like, that's just a question. Yeah. Well, I'm an avid uh, journaler. So I write down everything. I um yeah I I have like of my playing career I don't know how many diaries I filled but um yeah it was something that that Purnima Rao had had told me very early on that you know it's important to kind of chronicle these things Mm -hmm. um and it was more in terms of you know on days when when you're not doing so well you can maybe look back and and look through points in time when you were doing well what you were thinking you know all the things that you were doing the habits you had so um yeah I I write down everything uh, as soon as I finish the game I'm generally sitting in and writing out my diary yeah. uh, I, I think this is a little far-fetched but uh, would we ever see those volumes uh, get translated into an autobiography <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone wants to read about my life I, I mean, want to yeah. I think we're good yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, considering, you know, you chronicle a lot of your uh, journeys, uh, chronicle a lot of your memories too, what are some of the challenges and uh, setbacks you faced and uh, any memories of the same? Um, Yeah, look for any athlete. I think, you know, the things like poor form, getting dropped, um, you know, being overlooked for selection. Um, There are all those sorts of things that I think everyone kind of goes through at different points of time. and yeah, I think, I mean, I, I did as well. So there were those things that, that you have to deal with. And, uh, but, but I think they, they, they teach you resilience. They, they teach you to, to keep pushing on, to keep getting up. And, and they also kind of teach you that it's, it's, I think the earlier you get a bit of perspective, understanding that sport's not the end of the world. Um, I, I think it's it's a great way to, to move past it. But unfortunately for someone like me, uh, I took a long time to learn that lesson. I For me, cricket was was everything. Uh, like I said, I was the, the kid who, who was first to the ground, last, I, I left last, I, you know, practiced extra. I read about the game, watched the game. Like mm. I, I talked about it. I, I literally lived and breathed it. And 
So for me, cricket was everything. It was my identity. It was who I was. It was everything I wanted to be. So, um, you know, just, I guess, um, it was only when I went to Sikkim that I, that I found that perspective, that, that bit of balance. Um, so for me, I guess, dealing with, with failure, dealing with setbacks was, was difficult, but I think I was always also kind of lucky in the sense that I am the, or have been the type of person who generally channels my frustration or my disappointment into my craft. So it would mean that I walked harder, that I did more. And I guess in hindsight that, you know, that was obviously overtraining. That was obviously, um, uh, that was, you know, more mental exertion in, in I, I guess that led to burnout in some ways, um, you know, and, and this is all just looking back and, and realizing that, that there were probably red flags that I didn't spot. But yeah, like, I think for me, dealing with disappointment was more about just channeling my frustration into my craft and, and trying to get better at it. Right. So when we look at one end of the spectrum, we obviously have the challenges and the setbacks, but we can also you know, talk about some of your memorable moments. I know we've spoken at length about some of them, but if you had that one spell that, you know, you still remember or any of those memorable uh, moments from your playing days, what would those be like? Um, well, top of that list, like I said, would be India A, but uh, there, there are actually two things that kind of... Um, or maybe, yeah, well, two on-field memories that stand out to me. The first was actually, um, I think it was the 2013-14 season. Um, and in the lead up to that season, so the backstory of that of the season is that I worked with a trainer who was also working with Mithali the, um, in the lead up to the season. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had a lot of running sessions and gym sessions around the same time so I, I trained a bit with her in the lead up to that season and um, at the end of every session the trainer um, would tell Mithali that she's going to get you out this year and um, it, it happened almost like every day and it happened such that Railways was in Hyderabad's pool in the T20 leg and we were playing at home um, so in during that tournament I would spend the, the day before the match with Nushin Al-Kadir. So we'd go to the ground, I'd bowl a couple of overs and, and we'd discuss specific plans to each player. And um, she told, like, we discussed my plan to Mithalidi. And um, then after, after the discussion, I said, I want to bowl a, a few leg cutters. Hmm. And I ended up like practicing that. And she just told me one thing at the end of it. She said, if you're bowling a leg, leg cutter, come close to the stump. So generally as an in-swinger, I bowl very wide of the stump. Hmm. Um, and this is very random information I'm giving you but the next day we played railway and they were chasing I think 97 or 102 something like that it was a very low target hmm. and I opened the bowling um, bowled a couple of very good overs uh, I think three overs uh, Mithali they didn't get out but she also didn't hit me for any runs mm -hmm. um, and they brought me back in the I think it was the 13th or 14th over and Mithalidi was batting and bowled four decent balls. I think she took a couple of runs. And the fourth ball, I stood at the top of my mark. Uh, I, I just looked back. So the dressing room was behind me. I looked back and the trainer was standing right in front of our dressing room. Okay. And I just looked at him, smiled. And I thought, let's bowl a leg cutter. And, you know, the first thing I remember is go close to the stumps. Hmm. Ran, I ran in, bowled a leg cutter. 
it didn't cut out it cut into her so she was playing for the, the ball that cut away cut oh. into her and hit her on the pad and at that point I just like appealed like a mad person and I thought oh you know <laughs> it was it was plum okay let's be honest it was plum yeah but I thought you know the umpire it's Mithali Raj they may not give it hmm. um, but of course I got her out and I like ran around the ground like Imran Tahir and the trainer was standing in front like shouting and I remember Mithali just walking off with this kind of like a smirk on her face thinking oh my gosh I can't let this happen I, I can't believe this happened hmm. but yeah I think that's that's one of my favorite memories and I still kind of one of my teammates still talks about it because she was the one who chased me around the ground and eventually <laughs> caught me um that's that's one and I think the other hmm. is just um playing for Sikkim the tied game against Meghalaya um uh we were 87 for eight if eventually I think um got to 207 or something I scored 150 that game and um I remember at 87 for nine I think it was the number 11 came up to me and said we need to get 200 and we had played 25 overs and this Mm -hmm. kid is like 14 years old telling me we need to get 200 we need 120 more runs and I'm like who's getting you these runs and she's like no we need to do it so eventually somehow we got to that 200 thanks to her Mm. and um Meghalaya were cruising um and then towards the back end of the innings our captain Arjuna got a couple of wickets and then another senior player Priyanka Acharya got a couple of wickets and it ended up with them needing six runs off the last over and they gave me the ball and it was, I think it was the first time in my career where I was extremely calm. Um, so the first ball, the kid hits me for a four. Oh. No, no, the first ball, they took a single. Hmm. The next ball is a dot. Third ball, the kid hits me for four. And the captain came running up to me. It's like, what do we do now? They just need, you know, uh, a run, a run to win. I said, don't worry, just bring everyone in. Don't worry, we're going to do fine. Um, fourth ball she gets bowled fifth ball the girl gets beaten and the sixth ball there's a run out so we tied the game and just I think just the I think the the utter confusion first of all we felt like we won the game Meghalaya felt like we lost they lost the game obviously (laughs) but it, it ended up like both teams were just racing on the field celebrating god knows what but it was just a a mad I think probably the best game that I've been involved in and and definitely one of my favorite memories um, for a variety of reasons but I think just like I said the innocence and the joy that that team felt at at the smallest things was um, yeah it was it was definitely special right and uh, you know I understand that for your cricket like meant the world like you breathe cricket and you're just so passionate it can be you know visible from the answers you give so when you decided to you know hang up your boots playing cricket uh, how difficult was that and like when was that point you just realized you know you had reached a saturation point and you know you were done with the game for the better um, that's a hard question um yeah. I guess in in some ways I felt like it was a ma- it felt like it was just a matter of time for me. Um, like I said, uh, I think there was a point at which I felt burnt out, but I um, continued to play because I felt it was the right thing to do because I was doing very well. Um, you know, I just played uh, 
I, I had a very good tournament for South Zone. So I just felt like I, I needed to continue. Um, and I guess eventually for me, it was probably the pandemic coming. Um, it just kind of, um, I guess, um, solidified that, uh, that um, the decision a little bit. Um, and, and I felt like things had probably run their course. I was uh, no longer motivated to, to, to go after the dream that I had for so long. Uh, I didn't you know, want to do the work. And for someone who had, I, I guess, dedicated their entire being uh, you know, to achieve this dream and you know, who, who did everything in her power to, to try and, and get there, for, for someone like that to feel, I guess, not unmotivated not motivated and and I felt a bit deflated and hurt um and I think it was just many things that uh, kind of came together and um yeah there were a lot of emotions involved in the decision but I think um it was just a case of of understanding that it's probably time to step back um I mean I, I still love the game uh in and there are points where I really want to play um there is a large part of me that still wants to play. But I think at that point, I, I realized that I probably don't want to put myself through the system again. Um, I, I mean, if, if you asked me for a particular point when I knew I was done, it was actually in the middle of that one day tournament in 2019, 20. Mm. Uh, I, I, I scored a hundred in the first game of 40 in the next. I got a 60 or a 70 in another game. And wow. I mean, I was batting well. I was getting wickets. I was doing well. Um, but I remember that game against Chandigarh. First of all, before the game, I did not want to go to the ground. I just wanted to go home. And we went to the ground. We batted first. The, their opening bowlers were incredible. I mm. remember thinking, wow, this is, I mean, I, I'm struggling here. Um, but I got through that spell. The first change comes in, and and I played the most terrible shot I've played in my entire life, I think. Mm. And I got out, and normally I would have been really angry with myself. Um, but I remember walking to the dressing room, and I'm generally the kind of player who throws a tantrum. So I kind of like probably throw things around or just you know get a little angry with myself. I just put everything down calmly and and sat there thinking I want to go home I, mm. I don't want to be here and I wrote in my diary that I think it's over and I guess it did like I said there were there were so many emotions involved of course I didn't want to take the decision then but um for me I guess COVID coming kind of just solidified it I didn't play the next season um I was um asked to um, but I just felt like I wouldn't be able to get through the season without a support system. So at Sikkim, when I was there, um, initially, the first year we had Purnima Rao and Arjuna Das. The next year, Arjuna was still there. Um, but if I had gone back, I would have probably been on my own. And I don't think I had the mental um, capacity to just get through a season on my own. But like mm -hmm. I said, I, I did. I still love playing and, and I still go and, and play for fun. But I guess... Um, yeah, it probably run its course and I just didn't have the, the motivation to keep at it. 
fair enough and then your case you also you know have this flair for writing and you write so much like your freelance career was also probably going side by side so uh, how do you and how much do you enjoy writing as well and when you uh, reflect on the ideation process or your writing process how does that pan out do you want the truth <laughs> yeah the truth is i'm not a big fan of writing um, like i said i come from a family of teachers a family of writers um so it's kind of something that i wouldn't say came naturally to me but something that we um my sister and i were uh, kind of made to work at so from a very young age um my dad um would uh, come and and we'd have to write a page of something every day um oh. and and he'd look at it and and give us feedback so maybe from the time i was like 12 or 13 i'd be writing a page of something anything every day and he'd look at it so i ended up doing a lot of writing about sport it was just very random stuff about any sport that i had watched i would write about it um so i guess that's how i kind of developed the craft i suppose um and it's not something i genuinely enjoy i mean i i enjoy writing in the sense that when i have control over um my deadlines and and things like that i enjoy it but i don't think it's something that i want to continue to do long term um all the time like i'd like to have something else to do outside that um okay. but but having but having said that um you know i I guess in terms of the ideation and things like that I guess for me it's been because I've been involved in the game for so long and you know because I guess in many ways I'm trained to see different things um I guess that's that's where my ideas come from it's just about you know observing different patterns like you said I remember a lot of things um so a lot of it is just uh, about observing patterns and and uh, you know I, anything I see I kind of note it down and and try and figure out whether there's i guess a possible idea or an idea that can be explored there but i i don't really know if i have a process in place yet i think it's just um a lot of it is based on experience based on memory um just yeah figuring out i mean what i guess works um i mean whether whether an idea actually works um if i if i really believe in it i guess i go for it and there have been a lot i mean most of your pieces are really good you know it just comes stems from your experience and they're very like organic and like amazing to read as well but uh, i think your previous answer did uh, kind of answer my next question about how you know this uh, how you chose the profession of journalism so once you decided to hang your boots like did the process of you know going into journalism just happen naturally and in your case you also have experience of uh, working with wisden india and women's creek zone so how were those experiences like and did it like set you on a path to achieve what you wanted to Well, first of all, I mean, I know I said I come from a family of writers, but for me, actually getting into cricket writing was a bit of an accident. So, mm. um, before the twenty thirteen um, Women's World Cup, Sharda Ogra, I don't know how, but she got in touch with me, um, and I was a starstruck kid, thinking, "Wow, how did this woman get in touch with me? How did she get my number?" But anyway, she asked me to do a guest column for Cricket Info at the time before the World Cup. um and after i did that i was like oh this is actually possibly something i could explore this is you know maybe something that i can do once i'm done studying because i was 
um, doing my MA at the time. Um, so that's kind of how the, I, I, you know, I got the idea of potentially getting into um, cricket journalism. Um, and then um, the opportunity at Wisden India again, accidentally came through Snehal Pradhan. So uh, we had met that year earlier um, at a tournament. It was a selection tournament ahead of India's tour to England. We were in the same team. So we ended up spending a lot of time together. And she told me, hey, I know there's this opportunity in Wisden India. Why don't you apply? Um, because I was just finishing my MA. Hmm. Um, so I applied then and that's how I kind of got the job. Um, wow. And, you know, through my experiences there, I guess I figured that maybe this is potentially something I can do because um, I met Karunya, Siddhanta, you know, Kaushik, Anand, Shamya, all these amazing writers there. And um, I remember having a discussion with, with Karunya and, and Siddhanta during that time about how, um, first of all, at the time, women's cricket didn't, there wasn't that much coverage there. And, um, you know, Wisden was probably doing a lot more than, than most other publications. And um, Karun and Siddhanta were obviously at the forefront of it. And um, I, I remember one day sitting with Siddhanta and he was talking about how, um, you know, I should potentially look at this as, you know, a long-term thing. Um, at the time I was still playing, I had just played for India before I joined um, Wisden. So mm. I... Obviously, I think I, I left them a year later because I, I wanted to stay in Hyderabad and continue to practice and play, um, which was becoming hard in Bangalore. So um, it was through opportunities that he provided, that Gardner provided, that I guess I continued to stay in touch with, with cricket writing. Um, but again, Women's Creek Zone came, the opportunity came through Siddhanta, but I was still playing then. Um, so I took up the role in 2019. Hmm. Um, first with the magazine and then um, took on the role full-time in, in June 2019 so I was still playing I ended up I think taking a couple of months off every year um, to go and play tournaments but um, yeah it was it was an interesting experience I mean I, I learned a lot I think um, just kind of being there and, and building a team was was a big challenge for me I mean it was I was obviously at Wisden India, I was, I was the junior most. So I didn't have as much responsibility. I didn't know what, you know, those higher roles entailed, but, you know, and then having to, I suppose, be a more senior person um, and, and kind of build that team and build the content was, was an interesting experience. I mean, it's something I'm very grateful for. I think um, we set out to do some really ambitious things. Um, and I, I mean, I think it helped that I was still playing um, because then I then had access to to just, I guess, inside knowledge of, of how things work and how the system works and, and, and all the things that we needed to cover and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, both experiences were really interesting. And like I said, I think I just became this cricket journalist by accident and we can all thank Sharda for that. Yeah, absolutely. And in your case, you've also been a player and you've been on the other side writing about it as well. Now you do write a lot about various uh, cricketing events that happen throughout the year. So how was the experience of, you know, being on this end, like reporting and dabbling with uh, women's cricket specifically been like? Um, it's been fun. I mean, it's sometimes frustrating, but I guess reporting on women's cricket can sometimes you know feel like you're you're shouting against the wall somewhat um mm -hmm. because you're repeating the same things again and again but 
um yeah it's been it's been lots of fun i mean to to be able to meet to speak to people that i idolized for such a long time is, is obviously a huge thing but um yeah i think just be just being able to use the the lens of a player and to to see the different um parts of the game both as a journalist and and as a player has been um it's been interesting it's been fun i guess and uh, according to you how has women's cricket evolved i, I think my five i framing this question too i wasn't looking at a particular time span but if you had to just you know give a time span and just reflect on how women's cricket has evolved how would you look at it oh god <laughs> um there's i think you know all the players have talked about it i mean after this world cup all those players have been talking about how much you know the game has changed since mm. since i mean over the last couple of decades i mean you just think about the pref- professionalization of it and what that happened in around 2013 so that it that hasn't even been a decade but just the the impact the professionalization of the game has had um on um you know women's cricket is is massive um you know just the resources available the grounds they play at um and and just the opportunities for young women and girls to to see cricket as a potential career is huge um i mean like i said earlier when i started off playing i didn't see it as a career opportunity so for me finishing school was important it was important to be able to have a backup but now you know there are young kids knowing that that this is something that they could do for a living so um i think just that way it's it's massive um in terms of the interest around the world the the amount it skyrocketed even just in the last 5 years has been amazing i mean and i think what's really impressed me at least in in the last 4 or 5 years is is that the interest is is not just around the world cups right um mm-hmm. i think bilateral series are getting a lot more attention than they used to so i think that's also massive in terms of just audiences and in viewership coming into it but um from a riders perspective um if i if i were to put on that hat i think just the way we're now writing about the women has also begun to shift um i think you know earlier when i started um or even in the early 2010s if if you read a lot of the stuff it's a lot of it is very somewhat um cheerleadery so you know you're always building players up but i think now there's more um there's a bit of a critical angle you're you know you're questioning you know tactics performances there there's you know the you're holding them to to a standard that professional athletes should be held to and i think that's just a, a massive thing in terms of um i think the, the players and the athletes um like that as well because they are professional and they don't want to be molly coddled and um it's it's a it's a good shift to have um and you know even you know fans are writing about tactics and and potential matchups and just i think that there's, there's so much exciting stuff happening in the women's game and um you know that there is so much more possible but in terms of the way the game has changed power hitting pace i mean there's so much more um i think about that rebecca rolls innings and i think about you know mm-hmm. that was just a something you would have probably seen once in in four, five years or something like that but now mm-hmm. that's just it's somewhat becoming the norm i wouldn't say is the norm but you know there are more players able to do that 
at that point, maybe Rebecca Rolls, Karen Rolls, and would have been able to do it, um, maybe a few more. But now you can name two or three players in every team who are able to, to, to play innings like that. So I think that's just uh, one of one big thing. Right. And, you know, even talking about growth and development, this edition of the World Cup has uh, <laughs> just been amazing, you know, nothing short of impressive. So uh, what were your uh, major takeaways from uh, this edition? Oh, God, um, this was, I guess, one of the most closely competed, com, com, I mean, mostly competed tournaments, mm. but it all, at the end of it, it felt like, you know, no one could have beaten Australia. I mean, Australia has set the benchmark, um, but I think that as a tournament, the tournament as a whole, it just shows um, how the game has progressed in uh, around the world. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the quote by Nigar Sultana kind of underlines how much the women's game has changed. She came out in one of the press conferences and said that cricket is no longer played by name or by reputation. Mm. It's about how you play on the day. Um, because I remember um, a few years ago just talking to people who played for India and, and they'd talk about the aura of Australia and how they feared them and how, you know, before they came up against them, you know, they'd be worried. They'd almost think that we probably can't beat them. But now you walk up to any team and every team just seems to exude this self-belief that they can beat any team on their day. And I think that's just a major shift in terms of, and that's obviously come through professionalism and, and just training more and, and being exposed to different situations. So yeah, for me, I think this World Cup has just shown how much the game has progressed around the world, but also how much more different countries need to do to kind of keep up with Australia, at least, if not surpass them. Right. And if we also had to look at uh, India's performance, you know, just put a microscope and have a look at that. <laughs> we did have a good start to the World Cup, you know, winning those couple of matches. But somewhere down the line, it just, you know, started getting messy and chaotic. And we had the heartbreak loss versus South Africa too. But if there were some of the positives that you had to take from our campaign and uh, any learnings or takeaways that we can actually build on, what are your thoughts on those? Well, I think in, in terms of positives, for me, I think the biggest positive is just um, Pooja Vastrakar. I think India should now like nail her down as their third seamer and as their all-rounder. I think she's probably, we've, we've been searching for this for a decade now. She's like the perfect, not replacement, but the perfect, I mean, she'll play a role that Rumeli Dhar played for India for a very long time. Um, can bat, can bowl, can field. And she can bat, I think, much higher up than she is batting right now. And she can give you a, a decent 10 overs. But I think it's, I hope that India continue to play her as a third seamer. I don't think she's quite ready to to be um, one of their frontline seamers. I think, um, I, I hope that she continues to develop as a bowler. I mean, she's a fantastic bowler, but it would be, I think, considering her, all her injuries and, and the history, I think India would do well to kind of protect her and, and keep her as a, as a seeming all-rounder for sure. Um, she's definitely the biggest positive for me. And then, um, you know, Sneerana, um, she continues to show uh, what it means to have many years of, of domestic experience under your belt. Just the understanding and the tact of, of how to approach different situations, I think um, just... Uh, not just her performances, but I think what her performances showcase, I hope to to this to the powers that be, 
um, that it's important to have a bit of experience under your belt to be able to tackle different situations at the international level. Um, I hope that's a learning that India take away from her performances this tournament. Um, and of course, you know, Harman's form, uh, I think that that was exceptional, but it's a World Cup, so you kind of expect that from her. Um, but one of the off-field things, and this will probably sound silly, but I think, you know, Shafali Varma's evolution and, and just the confidence that she's now beginning to exude, I mean, uh, just in the way she's addressing the media now, in the way she talks um, in, in press conferences and in, in mid-match shows and things like that, I think it, she's come such a long way um, in these last couple of years. Um, and she's definitely someone that I think India need to to, to protect and to groom and, and, and give her space to, to just be herself, I think. Um, so I, I guess just her evolution off the field was something that I was very impressed by. But look, that, like you said, there were a lot of areas that were exposed through the World Cup. Um, but hopefully those are things or those are issues that are addressed. I think what tends to happen in India is that we identify different areas that need improvement, but you know, we tend to just kind of sometimes sweep them under the carpet or else something else major comes in, we make wholesale changes and then everyone else forgets the original problem and we're looking at a new problem. So as, as long as, as we remember what the, the issues that were exposed and we start to address, if not all of them, at least one or two of them, um, you know, that's my hope that, that we do that and, and move forward. Right. And on the same line of thought, you know, focusing on positives, how pleased were you to see that uh, a sports psychologist was on board with Team India this time? I mean, it is important, you know, to address the mental health concerns uh, of our players. And uh, do you think we need more players, even from India, you know, actually prioritizing their mental health and normalizing conversations around the same? We've seen how Sarah Taylor or uh, someone like Amelia Kerr and all these players have, you know, stepped up and spoken about their concerns. So do you think, you know, in India, do we need to normalize it? Uh, look, it was it was great um, that that there was a psychologist um, traveling with the team, and you know the players have spoken about how it did help, and you know it's I think it definitely is something that needs to be the norm. It shouldn't just be a World Cup only. So, um, like you said, players everywhere are talking about um, you know the importance of of having a clear head and having certain processes in place, mm-hmm. and just you know, being in a good mental space um, that allows you to, to maybe perform at your best. Um, it is important that the conversations are normalized, um, but, you know, just being realistic in India, it's, it is very hard. It's, it's, it's massively hard because mm-hmm. there is just, I mean, we saw even with Harman how much backlash she received um, through the World Cup. I mean, just just the, the the kind of comments that were made about her and and about psychologists and, and things like that. It it is very hard, and I think it it becomes harder simply because of the number of people who are competing, you know, um, who are playing cricket in the country. There are just so many, uh, so many people, right? It's it's. I think it's it's very hard, and it's. I think. It's definitely something that should be normalized, but it, it's, it's a very tricky situation. I think to put the onus on the players to say, hey, maybe you should talk about it more is a bit much because um, I think there's just so much, so much they have to deal with, um, you know, the backlash that potentially comes with it. It's unfortunate backlash, but, 
you know, realistically, there's going to be backlash. And I think it's it's very hard um, for the players to come out and, and you know, make these statements. I mean, for us to expect the players to come out and say things about it, because, I mean, it's just, it's, we're, we're not a very forgiving country. Um, mm. So, yeah. Fair enough. And uh, even, you know, this World Cup, we saw how Australia was just so dominant. I mean, it clearly shows the kind of work that the administration has put into, you know, those grassroots level systems and the domestic system has been has been really good and has worked wonders for them. So how would you rate the domestic structure in India having been a player? I mean, what do you think are some of the structural changes that we can bring in? And uh, probably we can imbibe some of the, some of the uh, you know tips from uh, Australia, England, New Zealand, or even South Africa for that matter. So if you had to give suggestions, you know, to the BCCI to make it better for women uh, cricketers in India, what would what would your suggestions look like? I think the first one would definitely be under sixteen in school cricket. Um, and I'm I'm hoping with an under-19 World Cup coming up um, that we do introduce an under-16 level because it's just important to have a lower rung as well. I mean, you don't want 12-year-olds uh, coming in and playing in, in under-19 cricket because they want to, you know, play an under-19 World Cup. I think it, it's just, it, it's important to have an under-16 level because it just means that you have another catchment area. It means that you're, you, you know, you can then streamline talent from there into the under-19 teams. And, 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 you know, also with the rule of you can only play four years of under-19, I think it is for the women. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes hard if you're a 12-year-old and you're done with under-19 cricket. By the time you're 16, you know what happens then. So, you know, just having under-16, I think, is really important. And that also means that you can take cricket into schools, that you can, you know, schools then have an incentive to have girls teams and, and things like that so you know just starting an under 16 tournament is would be number one um i think i've been talking about this for a long time but i think senior domestic senior contracts would be great um and i say this more because um it 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 gives players who are around 22, 23, probably going to be looking for a job, an incentive to stay in the game, hmm. an incentive to continue to to, to push and, and try and achieve their dreams. Um, because, you know, there have been, if I look at my batch itself, right, I had, I had uh, uh, within Hyderabad, I played with probably some of the most talented players in the country. Um, I played with a uh, a girl who played senior cricket when she was 12. Um, She captained Smriti Mandana, uh, Deepthi Sharma, and a lot of these girls in the Challenger Trophy. uh, She was the India under-19 captain. Hmm. But she left the game, well, for a variety of reasons. But there were a lot of, you know, what am I going to do next? Where's my job? Uh, You know, there were all those questions. Where am I getting an income from? Um, So I think just incentivizing women to stay in the game is really important and and senior contracts also mean that those players have more time to invest in the game they're not trying to balance school or or work with training i think that becomes very hard Mm. um and you know we we've seen with australia with england how much of a difference that can make um just being able to invest more time in your game so domestic senior contracts would be great i know it's it's probably hard but i think at 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 some level i think it's more it it is they have to figure out a way to do it because it's just i think for me it's it's very very necessary um 
And then the other would be a reintroduction of the interzonal tournament. Um, mm. And I say this because we play state cricket. There are 37 teams that play. Um, and the next level, the next level tournament is a challenger trophy. And I think to pick, I mean, it's it's great to have that, but I think for me, like when we played the interzonal, it was just it was a great way to kind of streamline talent. Like you're filtering talent from the state teams into the scene, into the zonal teams. Mm-hmm. And then you have five or six teams playing really competitive cricket. And from there, you pick your challenger team. So that's how it used to happen. So you would have won a lot more game time under your belt, but you also filtered talent in the sense that, you know, you played at a higher level in the interzonal. And then, so you therefore knew that the challenger was going to be even more competitive. Um, so so that, that's one reason I think that the interzonal tournament should be reintroduced. But the other is one is, is that it's, it's just also a realistic motivation for players from, from smaller teams. Um, who probably won't get into the challenges to just, you see that that's a possible level for you to get into. So for example, when when I was playing for Hyderabad, we had for the first time, a couple of girls from Kerala play for the um, the, the interzonal team um, for South Zone. And they said that when they went back to their state teams, their, their teammates were just so excited about the possibility that they have that's in front of them, that there is a possibility to play a higher level because girls from Kerala at that point were not getting picked for challenger trophies. So this was an opportunity for them to play at a higher level. So I think just the incentive, I I think what we need is to find, to introduce ways or incentives for for women and young girls to stay in the game because I think in India right now, that's, that's something that we lack. We don't have a motivation or something that will keep women in the game which means a lot of time you see um you know state teams having to start from scratch um with you know a whole fresh bunch of talent coming in because there's a whole batch that drops out so um just yeah finding incentives to to keep women in the game but Mm. and finally I think you know you spoke about Australia and England I think just introducing a pathway structure that's more streamlined I think right now it's kind of all up in the air yeah. We don't exactly know how things are done, how teams are selected, on what basis they're selected. There's no accountability. So just you know, streamlining those things and making it very clear um, at all levels, um, you know, how things are done, and just I guess that that would be that would definitely improve a lot of things. Just accountability and and clear communication. I think, yeah, those are uh, some really valid points. And even talking about the domestic uh, structure in place right now, what were some of the tournaments that you really enjoyed playing? Oh, and yeah, coincidentally, we also have the senior women's T20 trophy that gets underway today. So how excited are you to, you know, uh, witness this event and report about it? And are there any emerging stars that uh, you're particularly watching out for? Um, Well, in terms of the tournaments I enjoyed, I'd say I really enjoyed the interzonal tournament. Um, it was because it was just it was it was a different challenge right people from different teams coming together but you also knew you were playing a higher level of cricket than than the state cricket so that was one of my favorites um but yeah uh, I mean the t20 the senior t20 tournament it's going to be very exciting I mean there's just so many players around the country um and in India has always been, I think, a country with just so much talent. I think regardless of what people say, there is 
I mean, an, an incredible amount of talent um, all around the country. Um, I'm keen to see, and, and these are not new names, but I'm keen to see how Divya and Meghna kind of build on their one-day success. Um, Divya from Karnataka. Um, like they, for me, are, are two very, very powerful, very solid T20 players. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, and not to put, not to, um, you know, never mind. Um, yeah, so those two. Um, and then, of course, there's, I'm a major fan of Amanjot Kaur. Um, she's the captain of, of Chandigarh and in many ways reminds me of Rameli Dhar. She's a very good swing bowler, but uh, a high quality batter as well. And I think she has a great temperament. So um, keen to see how she goes. Uh, Shreyanka Patil from Karnataka is also someone who's really impressed me. Um, she turns the ball a mile. So and, and she's a very, very good fielder. Hmm. so that's someone I'm looking forward to but if I had to um, pick someone I'm, I'm just going to be sentimental pick someone from Hyderabad um, G. Trisha I played uh, well I watched her a lot I played a bit of cricket with her um, she broke into the senior team when she was what 12 or 13 or something um, and uh, you know she's really coming into her own at the senior level she bossed the under 19s um, and I think she's she's going to be a, a big um, hopefully, if she continues on this path, going to be uh, one for the future. And then, of course, there's Anushka Sharma, who kind of broke the internet, didn't she? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's she's also been quite impressive. So, like I said, there are lots of people, um, I think, coming through. And it's hard to name just a few. Fair enough. I mean, these emerging stars are going to be uh, potentially the future for uh, Team India, too. And hopefully, you know, the right pathway will uh, lead them there. But I've often seen this discourse on... Uh, like some social media platforms that, you know, how the men's team had the 83 moment that, you know, really just uh, snowballed into cricket being taken more seriously in India, especially men's cricket. Do you think uh, the, that even women's cricket, particularly Indian, our Indian girls also need that 83 type moment, you know, win a big World Cup to be taken seriously? And then would you think that would translate into having a women's IPL? And do you think that's the way to go ahead for women's cricket? And if you also had to, you know, break down the financial feasibility of the same, how would you look at it? <laughs> oh god look i i do not think I, I i don't think we're at the point where we can wait um to be successful or to have an 83 moment to then build on it right i think we're at a point in the women's game where teams are, are going to break away teams that get it right are going to break away australia already have um and you know australia at, you know what they introduced their contact contracts around 2013 14 um by 2017 they had lost all their trophies um but they i mean the wbbl was introduced in 2015 the next year they lost their t20 crown i mean it's not i don't success is not i mean it's not you cannot wait to be successful to build something um, and, and I said this during the, the semi-final or the final, I think, where that 171, right, that should have been our 83 moment. Mm. That was, was a once-in-a-lifetime knock. It was something that woke an entire country up to the possibilities of, of women's cricket, to what women are capable of if you invest in them. If, I mean, I think that innings 
was probably the point at which you sh- I mean that's what you should have built on built on uh, you know waiting for for a world cup is it's unrealistic mm-hmm. I, and and I say this not because I don't think India can win a world cup I think India have plenty of talent enough talent to win the world cup but if they do win a world cup it will be an accident it will not be because of the system we have not created a system that 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 could win them a world cup um you know you look at the likes of shafali varma richa ghosh of smriti mandana jamima rodrigues they are not talent that's been built by a system mm-hmm. that is talent we have chanced upon that is self made talent none of them have have come through a streamlined system in indian cricket so these are successes that have come despite the system not because of it so if we win a world cup it will become it will come despite the system not because of it so you know if we're waiting to build a system because i mean like waiting for an accident to build a system i think that's i mean that's that's incredibly foolish mm-hmm. um you know the men didn't like the men's ipl wasn't started because india won a world cup it was started because there was a rival icl Yeah. um so you know I, i think just if if we're waiting for something to happen to create something i think it's foolish especially considering just how far ahead australia have gotten and and how much england are trying to catch up with them i think you know it's i think we're in danger of, of potentially falling behind i don't think we will fall behind because we have again exceptional talent within the system mm-hmm. but um you know it's i think we we need to start it's it's well past time i think i've said this a million times i've gone on a million rants but um i think it's well past time um for us to start a women's ipl i think and and i'm not saying that it will be a one stop solution it's not going to be um it's it's just part of the solution we do need to strengthen the domestic system we do need to create a more streamlined pathway but that's also not the one stop destination i think i mean solution i think both of them go hand in hand mm. um and you know we've seen players all around the world talk about the impact the wbbl has had talk about the impact the ksl had um what the 100 has done for english cricket um you know there's just there's so many success stories that have come from those leagues um so why are we so reluctant to do something in india as well um and i think most teams are worried uh, like if india get their act together um there is no way that they can be stopped say 5 7 10 years down the line i think you know once you create a a pathway a streamlined mm-hmm. pathway there is no way that you know i mean imagine the number of shafalis the richas all these people that you'll find there there's just so much talent buried in this in 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 india and mm-hmm. and we're just unwilling to to lift a rock to find it um and as far as the financial feasibility goes look i don't know i i'm not one for numbers and not one for business um but but there definitely is a market um and and i think look people people understand that um the owners of of franchises seem to understand that there that there is it does make business sense to invest in a women's team so i'm hoping that you know they've made an announcement and hoping they kind of you know build on it <laughs> 
True. And I completely agree with you that there's no dearth of talent in India. And uh, talking about leagues too, we have the WBBL, the 100, and now we also have uh, a women's CPL, a women's PSL, and even the fair break uh, global event. So do you think these are uh, tournaments and like, you know, a welcome step in the right direction? And recently, even the fair break global event, uh, the BCCI did not give NOCs to some a couple of the players who are supposed to participate in this. So if the BCCI doesn't really provide opportunities to participate in events like this, do you think it's just going to be a, a massive roadblock, you know, to progress in the right direction? You can also see it as maybe this is a way they're saying we're going to start monopolizing our talent because we want to start a women's IPL. I'm going to be positive. Um, but uh, <laughs> look, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's great that there are so many different leagues that um, are that already exist around the world and, and some that, you know, are going to begin soon, hopefully. Um, and I mean, it's, it's massive. I think it's, forget about the international players. I think it's just a massive opportunity for um, players around the world to make a living outside international cricket. I mean, you see that with the men, there are so many um, overseas international players who, who, I mean, there, there's so many players around the world who kind of go and, and play different leagues and, and that's how they, they make a living. Um, mm. We saw that for a while with Rachel Priest. She played in the WBBL and the KSL and, and she was somewhat of a freelance cricketer um, traveling the world and, and kind of making a living playing in different countries. Um, so I think that way it's actually, it's great. Um, yes, it's, it's wonderful for international cricket in terms of, I guess, giving opportunities to players from different countries to kind of experience different environments, but it's outside the internationals themselves. It's also a great opportunity for young girls and women to, to have um, a way to, to, I guess, be professional cricketers and not necessarily play international cricket. Right. And, uh, you know, talking about tournaments, we also have the under-19 uh, World Cup that's scheduled to happen in 2023. So how excited are you for this event and considering India recently had the uh, Challenger Trophy, the under-19 uh, uh, teams, uh, you know, squaring off against each other? Do you see like a good set of players emerging from that, you know, forming this Indian team and any chances of lifting the trophy, probably? <laughs> Look, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously a massive thing um, and it's going to take help. I mean, it's going to help take uh, women's cricket around the world to greater heights. I mean, we've seen uh, with with the men's under-19 World Cup just how much of an impact it has. And again, it's an incentive for young girls to get into the game, right? Um, it, it's an incentive for young players to train. They have something to aim for, um, you know, uh, I, I spoke about G. Trisha, um, and funnily enough, I think when she was 11 or 12, her dad wrote on her ceiling wall that I will play for India when I'm 16. And I think, look, it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful thing to aim for, but I think it's also not going to happen for everyone. Right. Um, not everyone's going to be a Shafali Varma. So I think for young kids, it's also just, it's something realistic for them to aim for um, to just to, to be able to play under 19 cricket and under 19 international cricket it's it's also great exposure for those young players and it will also kind of mean especially for a place like India it will also mean we don't always throw untested teenagers into international cricket and um, hope they swim rather than sink so mm. um, you know overall I think I mean it's massive it's it's one of those I guess one of those steps that will allow 
not just Indian cricket, but the global cricket to 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 take, I guess, the women's game to to another level and and to just, I guess, kick into another gear. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm massively excited for it. And look, I think, like you said, in there's no dearth of talent in India. There's um, a lot more opportunities for younger players, and and I think it's they will um, definitely. Look, we don't know what the other teams are going to look like. I mean, Australia, if you look at just the, the talent that was in the WBBL, the teenage talent that was there, there's so many different names. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, I think it's it's going to be interesting, but they're probably, um, India will, will fancy themselves, but it will depend again on, you know, whether they allow the likes of, of Shafali to play. Um, but even without them, I think there's plenty of talent in India. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about other formats of uh, cricket. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, test cricket for women? Do you think the game deserves more tests? And what is the road ahead that can be adopted where the ICC can, you know, mandate it for multi-format series to have more tests? And even for India to, you know, build this robust system of red ball cricket in India for women, how do you see uh, all of this pan out? Thoughts? It's a tough one. I mean, yeah. because you talk yeah. to most female players and, and they do want to play more tests. But the thing is, they're, they're also learning on the job because like you said, no domestic system has, um, you know, first-class cricket um, played. So it it becomes, you know, it's hard for them. Uh, we talk about, you know, wanting to wanting women to play more test cricket and then also putting so much pressure on them to make every test match a spectacle, to make it watchable so that we can then, you know, say this is why we should have test cricket. But when they're learning on the job, that becomes unrealistic. It also becomes very unfair. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember listening to, to Marlan Kapp and, um, you know, she spoke about the experience of playing in India in 2014. Um, South Africa arrived late, so they didn't get to play their, their warm-up game. And they got trounced by India by an innings. And, um, you know, she spoke about that as saying that it was one of the worst experiences of my life. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, Test cricket may be great, but it was terrible. And I think, you know, that's, it's kind of, I mean, it, I think that's exactly why we need to be, it, <laughs> I mean, either test cricket needs to be something that you play more regularly and you make sure either the top four or top five teams play more regularly or you build a system domestically and say it's it's up to the to the country boards to build a bit of a system before mm. you come in. Um, because, look, I think, yes, the multi-format series is great. Um, but again, how do you prepare for test cricket within a multi-format series when you know you're just going to play one mm-hmm. um it like like Matthew Mott has, has said many times it becomes kind of unrealistic to prepare specifically for test cricket um so I think you know we need to find a way to I guess introduce it at um domestic level or or something like that before you force not for us, but before you get the women to, to, to play it, or you just play it more consistently and say, like every, like you said, you mandate multi-format series and say, this is this is what we're going to do. Mm. Um, because it, that, I think that's the only way that, that you can get um, players to kind of prepare specifically exactly. for that when you know, know that you're going to play more than one or two a year. Mm. Um, and, and then that, that potentially brings in test specialists and things like that. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think it's, 
right now it's it's kind of hard when women are constantly learning on the job and also trying to make the game exciting mm-hmm. um it's it's very hard on them but but so far they've they've done an excellent job at least in the last couple of years exactly and going ahead i just hope we get to see a uh, lot more tests but i think what upsets me is how some uh, sections of the media or even the icc for that matter did say you know the women's game is not that marketable or you know the tests are not uh, financially feasible so if you just had to reflect on how to make the women's game more marketable you know to your investors who are obviously such a big part of the game so what are some of the steps that you think can be taken will you know uh, that can be taken so do you think you know televising matches can help generate more revenue for instance the senior uh, women's t20 trophy is not being televised much to the fans disappointment and we want to see matches but it's just not there anywhere even the highlight packages are just not Yeah, you know, reasonable. So, uh, do you think uh, bringing in more advertisers, just generating that revenue, will help? Or uh, do you have any suggestions to make the game more marketable? Do I have suggestions? No, because like I said, no, no business or economics background. But look, visibility is is very very important. Uh, I think you know you every other domestic tournament in in most other countries is um is streamed. Yeah. you know they may not have commentary but that you can watch it um you know even australia's under 19 championships were available to mm. watch um so i think it's just about i guess um the will to do it um the de- the, the desire to make it happen i think that's one of the things that's kind of annoying sometimes with the women's game that we cater to top levels but we forget that there's a there's a level below and that level is the one that's allowing your top tab- your top tier to succeed right i yeah. mean it's because that there is a domestic game that india is able to produce the players they do um so i think yeah visibility is extremely important i mean for example something as simple as as what we saw during the world cup right i mean you looked at pictures from around new zealand and there were hoardings there were banners there were pictures that there is a world cup in these cities and you know there were little tidbits about different players stats randomly around the cities mm. that were hosting the world cup and you know that that obviously just you know at some point you see that and you're like oh yeah there's a world cup here and in comparison 2013 india had nothing like no one knew there was a women's world cup in mumbai mm. um and of course the game has moved on from there but just simple things like that just um you know to to remind people that there is an event happening um you know think of all the things that australia did during the t20 world cup and and how they got how they managed to fill the g um yes it may have been full of, of many many thousands of indians but it was because they marketed it and advertised it and and you know kind of filled your head with 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 information about the the final being on women's day march 8th 2020 it was that, that was why people wanted to go i mean it was hyped up so much they did all the right things they called in a global superstar in katy perry they they did everything they possibly could mm-hmm. to 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 make that event what it was so um yeah just making sure people know what's happening is extremely important so i mean i think within india we can do plenty more um for the women's game and i don't think we're trying hard enough yet yes i absolutely agree with you on that and even you know looking at some major reforms 
what are some of the reforms that you think that ICC can incorporate at the global level that eventually percolates to your, uh, you know, uh, state, not state, sorry, your national boards actually incorporating them and, you know, doing something better for the women's game. Also, a sub-question to the same would be as to how do you think the ICC can just make it a more, you know, inclusive space for your associate nations? I think this question largely stems from the fact that Thailand was supposed to participate in the Women's World Cup. And because of the uh, pandemic that kind of ruled out the women's uh, qualifier tournament, it just ensured they couldn't come on board. But we still did get to see Bangladesh and uh, Pakistan and other teams participate. But the gulf between these uh, nations and the top tier nations is like massive. So how do you think, you know, you can bridge this gap and what are some of the reforms that can actually, you know, work well for women's cricket? So I'm actually going to contradict you here. I don't think the gulf is massive. I think it's easier to close a gap between teams in women's cricket. And I say this because um, most of the the top tier nations became professional post 2013, Hmm. um, which means they don't have much of a head start. It's less than a decade. Um, yes, they have much more experience in terms of exposure to international cricket, but, it, but, but as far as training as professional goes, they don't have much of a head start, right? Um, which means that there is a way to close the gap. And for example, I, I think all, all, all boards of associate teams or most boards of associate teams know that it's easier to close the gap in women's cricket, which is why they're investing so much more in their women's teams. You think of Thailand, Brazil, um, you know, Ireland are, are pumping more money into their women's game mm-hmm. as well. Of course, not more than the men, but but they're pumping more money because they understand that there is a need to quickly close the gap. Because you know, once the top teams start pushing ahead, um, which they are, but I, I think the gap is is it's possible to close the gap. And all you have to do is look at the performances of Thailand. Right? Um, I think 2020 they came into the the T20 World Cup. Um, yes, they were first timers, and yes, they got beaten um, in three out of their four games. The fourth was washed out, mm-hmm. but you could see a gradual improvement through the tournament. You could see that they were not overawed by the situation, and you could see that they were prepared very, very well. I think their tactics um, were extraordinary through most of the the tournament, and they executed their plans beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, through, through much of the tournament with the ball. Um, so, and, and they got to the T20 World Cup simply by pumping in money into that women's team, focusing on them, hiring a full-time coach, um, you know, get allowing that coach to bring in his team, um, you know, having lots of camps, lots of practice games, hmm. um, allowing them to travel to Pune to, to practice for a couple of weeks, almost every other month. You know, they, they trained against Maharashtra Ranji Trophy players. They, they played dozens and dozens of matches against under 16 and under 19 boys. And there, there's just this willingness and, and this desire to see them improve, hmm. right? So they invested in that team and, and saw them achieve what they did. Um, the same with Brazil. I mean, they have they have their women's team is contracted, so mm-hmm. there is an understanding that you know the gap can be um, the gap can be reduced. But there's also an understanding that it is possible for the women to do it much more easier, right? The men, for the men, the men have like what 40, 40 year head start, and that's kind of difficult. 
Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, that, that, that gap is, is not going to be um, um, closed very quickly and very easily. But for the women, it is possible. And I think the way the ICC looks at this is that they first, first and foremost need to understand that I think the game, the men's and women's games can be administered differently. I don't think they should have the same set of rules for both. And, and, and I'm not talking about playing rules. I'm talking about in terms of the way they administer the game. So, you know, in terms of which teams are full members, how many teams get international status, things like that. I think that should be separate. Um, and, and it is frustrating that they have not yet realized that. I mean, yes, they said that now we'll give two more women's teams ODI status. But that's obviously a reactive thing it's not something that they thought of before and I think it's something that that they should think of doing not just for two more but it should be an incentive that they provide for other women's teams to say okay next year we're going to give maybe a couple more teams ODI status or you know just just to incentivize that improvement um and and I think another way that you can do it is by increasing the number of teams at world cups or in the ODI championship, right? As simple as that, increase the ODI championship to 12 teams, because it is important that, that the game spreads, that you have um, more teams participating at similar, I mean, having, uh, having more opportunities. And, and then, you know, you've seen with Bangladesh, they, I think for me, Bangladesh was probably um, one of the most impressive teams in the World Cup, just because of the the intensity with which they played throughout the tournament. They didn't once let any other team kind of bully them. Um, so I think, look, like I said, there is an opportunity to close the gap more easily in women's cricket, but um, the, the ICC needs to be smarter in the way they work um, and in the way they, they make decisions for the women's game. I think th- they're, they're trying to make change, but the change is very slow. So 20, you have to wait till 2027 for a 10-team ODI World Cup, or sorry, a 10-team T12, 12-team T20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. You have to wait till 2029 for a 10-team ODI World Cup. I mean, that's, that's change at a glacial pace. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you can ramp it up for the women's game. Um, and I think that will only be done when they understand that men's and women's game should be separate and that... The, that the decisions they made should be, um, you know, separate from one another because, um, I like if you accelerate the rate of change, it will then incentivize more associate teams to pump in more money into their women's teams because they then know that they're getting something out of it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and uh, as fans, you know, we would be hoping to see that. Uh, these small changes translate into something bigger and they just happen at a faster pace. And I've quizzed you enough on your uh, playing uh, career, uh, on your playing days and like, you know, women's cricket specific questions. But if I just had to ask you a general question, what are other things that, you know, you're passionate about besides cricket? And in general, how do you just unwind and relax? Um, I'll read, I'll read a fair bit. Um, so, yeah, it used to be reading lots of cricket books but nowadays I read lots of fantasy and fiction so that's generally one of the things I do otherwise I kind of um, while away my time watching some stupid show somewhere so yeah that's generally what I do to unwind I guess 
and uh, what's on cards next for you do you have any exciting projects coming up are you uh, you know penning a book anytime soon anything exciting for us fans oh god um, nothing yet <laughs> nothing on the plate i've got a couple of ideas but um, you know we'll have to wait and see how they turn out okay and uh, you also have such an active uh, twitter handle and you tweet some really uh, interesting stuff as well so if you just had to look and uh, you know reflect on how social media has played a crucial role in your life uh, how do you, how would you look at it and how do you just keep up with all the trends and everything that's happening first of all my question to you is what trends am i keeping up with <laughs> i don't know maybe just you know tweeting about the tournaments and you also like don't keep your tweets limited to just indian uh, like domestic thing you also like tweet about the australian setup or like the english setup so yeah maybe those trends in general too yeah. well um look that's it's my job isn't it i mean as a cricket journalist yeah. to stay abreast of things so um yeah look i twitter is um, look it's it's, <laughs> it's an interesting one for me i enjoy twitter um but i also hate it um ah. look i i love um i guess ranting sometimes on twitter it's it's been um it's plenty of fun making up random hashtags and having people like them i think that's that that's one of my biggest achievements i think that that's regardless of of anything i've written or anything i've i've ever achieved in my life i think my biggest satisfaction will be creating hashtags that people appreciate but um look for me twitter has always been about i guess just work right mm. um i only tweet about cricket and yeah whatever i watch or whatever i observe i just kind of put it out there and mm. see what people think i mean it's, it's fun um but yeah in 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 limitation i think <laughs> Right. and i think even on twitter you had posted this compilation video of some of your brilliant uh, bowling spells as well and you also have this very uncanny celebration so if you just had to reflect on how that came about how, how, what's the origin story for the celebration what is the celebration the jump you mean yeah the jump in the air and you just punch in the air and it's like very <laughs> exuberant and yeah that one <laughs> oh look i don't know i actually as a kid i loved um copying brett lee so i would do you know you remember his heel tap that he used to do ah, yeah um he used to jump in the air and tap his heels together i yeah. loved doing that for a long time but then i realized that i had to be so conscious of doing it that i just stopped doing it <laughs> um and yeah i mean i think everything was just natural after that i did like the i used to do the dale stay in um chainsaw for a while oh. um and then i think at the i think towards the end of my career it just became a mixture a hybrid mixture of everything so yeah there i i also did like a a shoibakter airplane for a while so i think it just depends on one uh i think my energy levels but two mm. also how highly i rate the wicket i think that that my exuberance um is reflected in, in those things i think right and uh, just two more questions you know before we go to our uh, rapid fire round so if you know i really do consider you as a very knowledgeable person uh, like in cricket in general so if someone did want to you know amp up their knowledge of women's cricket where uh, would you suggest them to start off with do you have any cricket literature podcast books websites or anything that you'd like to suggest to them so you know they could just get started our listeners would greatly benefit from this i think 
again specifics oh god <laughs> look i think there's plenty of information out there i mean there's so many people not just professionals but like fans creating so much exciting content around a variety of different things right you think of of just numbers different strategies used people telling stories um just this podcast for example you're not talking you're talking to different people who've, who've been involved in the game their stories mm-hmm. um i think there's just so much to read and watch it's it's incredible and it's all available out there but it's just i think being willing to to put in the time to do it i think a lot of the time where this we bookmark a lot of things and never get down to to actually reading or watching them um so yeah look i i think for me yes it's it's great to read and watch about the game but sorry read about the game and watch um you know different videos and analytical stuff um but i think it's also important to watch the game itself um and to watch as much of it as you can because um from my experience you learn a lot more by just simply watching it um and and then reading about it so then you can reflect on the things that you saw um and things like that but um again for sentimental reasons i'd say the fire burns blue is is a wonderful book yes. um it's definitely something that you should read um and it, it's one of the things that you should read before you say anything about indian women's cricket and hmm. women's ipl and depth of talent if anyone's going to have an argument with me about that please read that book before you come to me <laughs> right and uh, last but not the least what's your advice for young girls you know who wish to take up the game and for parents who just want to support them to any resources or you know just any tips for them um look i think just like anything else be willing to work hard at it um be patient especially for parents be patient with your kids i think um not i, I mean like you probably not there's there's a one in 10 chance that you're going to have your daughter play for india when she's 12 or 15 or something like that mm-hmm. so just to be patient and to allow her to enjoy it um i think and also for kids just being willing to enjoy um the experience things aren't going to come easy but you know you should be willing to put in the work and um you know just be patient around it and don't limit yourself to just one thing i think um one of the things that's frustrated me quite a bit in india is that we specialize very early you know whether that's specialization in sport or specialization in skill within cricket mm. um we do it very early so i think you don't quite develop um as much um i think you know there's so many different skills that you can imbibe from different sports or imbibe from doing um or or practicing different skills in cricket i don't think a a 9 year old needs to know that she's going to be a wicket keeper for the for the next 20 years i think she can try her hand at different things and um you know the, the later you can push your specialization the better it is um and you know play different sports i i think we we push our kids too much to be prodigies or to be superstars when when they're very young and i think sometimes the danger with that is that we snuff out any love that they may have for the game mm. i've played with with a lot of very talented kids who've walked away because they couldn't take the pressure of their parents um so you know as parents i think it's just important to allow your daughter or son to play and to you know let them figure it out 
Um, and you know, if they're talented, they'll find a way. If they're willing to work hard, they'll 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 succeed at it. But yeah, it's just important to to make the experience fun for them. Right, <laughs> that is some really valuable advice, and I'm sure our listeners will also resonate with that. So we are now down to the last segment of this episode, the rapid fire round. So are you ready? Yep, let's go. Okay, so who, according to you, is going to be the next big thing in women's cricket? One name. <laughs> Jee Trisha. Okay. Uh, which is your favorite cricket book of all time? Mm, Playing with Fire by Nasir Hussain. Okay. And uh, who's your favorite uh, cricket author or writer? One name. Does it have to be one? Okay, yeah, I, I, you can take many. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if I had to take one name, I would say Karina Keshav. But um, since more um, Sharda Ogra, Gideon Haig, Bharat Sundaresan, I have, I have too many, so I'll stop there. <laughs> okay, and if there was one law uh, you could change in cricket, what would that be? Specifically women's cricket, I'd say, please, can we now have five fielders outside the circle in the last yes. 10 hours? Otherwise, Alyssa Healy is going to keep scoring like 170, probably 200 one day. <laughs> okay. And last but not the least, what's your, uh, you know, most precious memorabilia from your playing days or like even now? Um, two things. Uh, so the game after, well, the game that I got Mitali, the hour, she signed the ball for me so that's um that's one piece um the other would be minyan dupree's jersey oh you have that signed jersey yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so that does conclude our rapid fire round and before we wrap up this episode do you have any parting thoughts or you know a message for the listeners or young girls who aspire to be like you and um, in general how did you like the interview i know it was extremely exhaustive but any parting thoughts um well first of all it was lots of fun yes it was extremely exhaustive but it i think it allowed me to ramble more than i do on twitter so thank you for that opportunity um in terms of i guess advice for for young girls listening just have fun and and you know do what you enjoy as long as you're enjoying it you'll be okay and be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself I think that's most important that's something most of us forget but it's important to be kind to yourself while you're trying to do something yes exactly and uh, with this we draw curtains on the episode Uh, thank you so much for you know taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, sharing such insightful thoughts it was an absolute pleasure uh, interviewing you. This was a great collaboration. And I'd love to have you on the podcast again. Just pick your brains on anything. Till then, take care and bye. Thank you. I'd like to ardently thank you all for supporting this podcast it really gives me the strength and zeal to keep working and delivering quality content to you all a heartfelt thank you do check out at the rate never on the back foot on instagram and at the rate never on the back one on twitter for the latest facts trivia quizzes terminology and a lot more the podcast is also available on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify anchor overcast and a lot of other platforms and please do spread the word 
also feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions for the already published episodes and recommendations for future topics do share this episode widely and your support is really appreciated see you next time listeners cheers stay safe and take care bye for now